let me fix this. All right. Last week, I asked a big question as we kind of ended the year, which was, do you believe in the one true God? To which I think most of us in here said, absolutely, right? And, and I'd kind of thought about jumping into a, a, the next Bible book, but um, just wanted to take one more week to kind of set our sales or set our goals on 2024. And so the big question for today is, Based on what we said last week, that yes, we believe in the one true God, the God of the Bible, then what are we now doing about it? Or what are we, have we been doing, and what should we keep doing, and what should we do differently or do better? And I think it's always a good mindset to have the mindset of the Apostle Paul who said he's not already achieved what he needed to achieve, but he presses on toward the calling of God in his life, to know that we will never fully accomplish all God has for us until we go to be with him one day. And so in the days we have left, let's spend those days seeking to know the Lord, serve the Lord, worship the Lord, and how about this, let's help as many people as we can know Christ and know him more on our way to eventually be with him, right? And so what are we doing and what do we need to be doing is the title of this, this sermon. Um, I'll never forget years ago, I was reading a book, and the book discussed this survey that had been done, and it was about people who went to see the doctor with heart trouble. And the study was done, it was done, it was, I think it was like 100,000 people were studied, some, some big study. And basically, it came back and said this, that people who would go to the doctor, and the doctor would say, look, if you don't change, you will die. If you don't change your diet, your exercise routine, stop doing this in your life, stop doing that. If you don't change, your heart is going to give way. And the study showed that 90% of the people who the doctor said change or die, 90% in this study refused to change. They kept doing the exact same things and led to their death instead of changing. I don't know about you, but if, a doctor, if I saw a doctor tomorrow and he said, change this or die, I hope I would be willing to change that thing, right? Because we want to live, right? So I'm using that as a, bringing that to us as Christians and as a church, are there things in my life and in your life we need to change? And maybe it's not to change something, but maybe it's to just do a little better at what we're doing or see something a little more clearly. Um, but what is it in your life? What is it in my life? What is it as a church that we are doing? What do we need to do even better? That's the, the mindset I want us to have as we approach this sermon. Um, I saw this quote as well. I think this quote is so uh, important and, and to think about. Um, I'll read this quote and then we'll go to those texts. A quote about vision. It says, vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision is just passes the time. Vision with action can change the world. And the idea of this quote is that as I cast this vision before us, which really I hope we're going to see is just what the scripture tells us to do. If we see the vision, if we see what God calls us to do, and then we have action with it, which means we do it then that can change lives and change the world for the gospel. If we only have vision, go back, if we only have vision, if I sit here and preach sermons like this a couple of times a year, but we don't ever put the action steps with it, what good is that going to do, right? Or, if we have a lot of action with no vision of where we're going, what good is that going to do? 
And so my goal, my prayer with this sermon is to continue to cast a vision that we might be able to put action with it as well. So look at the text. Matthew 28, Colossians 1, and 2 Timothy 2. I want to read these to you out of this gigantic Bible because <laughs> I can't find my other Bible. All right. Do y'all lose Bibles sometimes? Okay, my preaching Bible's gone, so if y'all see it, let me know. Uh, I don't know. Matthew 28, eight, well, let's, let's read 18 through 20. This great commission, such an important passage to think about what we should be doing as a church. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So in Matthew 28, we've I've preached this several times before. We know that the goal of the church, the mission of the church, is to make disciples. Does that mean we should tell lost people about Jesus? Yes. Does that mean we should be involved in missions? Yes. But once people become Christians, does it stop there? No. Verse 20 says, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. May we continue to teach those who know Christ. Flip over to Colossians 1. As we think about what are we doing and what should we be doing as Christians and as a church. In the first couple of chapters of Colossians, the Apostle Paul points to the supremacy of Christ and the salvation that we heard about from Jason this morning about through Christ. But then look at what he says in verse 28 of chapter 1 in Colossians. Him we preach, which is Jesus. We preach Jesus, warning every man... And teaching every man in all wisdom, why? That we may present every man perfect or mature or complete in Christ. It is our goal that as, that as we do church and be the church, that we're helping each other not just coast through the Christian life, but to become fully devoted, maturing followers of Christ that should be our goal I mean when Jason's giving our five-year-olds a message on the substitutionary atonement of Christ that is a part of us laying a foundation in their lives to know God and know him more when we do this with our own children or our grandchildren we are laying the foundation for them to know Christ to become mature believers look at 2 Timothy 2 2 I'll read verses 1 and 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love that verse, by the way. Be, be strengthened, not in your own power, not in your own intellect. Be strengthened by the grace of Christ. Verse 2, And the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit those to faithful men, who then will be able to teach others also. Do you see replication, multiplication there? We teach the gospel to one another that the gospel might continue to spread through others, right? It's our prayer. By the way, if, if our children grow up, and as some have, right, and move away, it's our prayers that they, when they move away, they go and they take Christ with them. 
they come back, that's awesome. We're happy about that. <laughs> but wherever we go, that we take Christ and we share with others, that they may share with others, that they may share with others, guess what? You would not know Christ. You would not be a Christian if somewhere down the line someone did not share Christ with someone else and with you. So we continue to do the same. What are we doing? We should be following these three verses. And, of course, the other verses. But making disciples that people might become mature believers. And we do that very simply through replicating our faith in the lives of others. Let me give you a few points this morning. As I just kind of jump off of those verses, with those verses in my mind, by the way, these are not just things I made up. These verses are on my mind as I dive into these, these points. But just listen to this uh, manifesto, I guess, about Christian living. Number one, the Christian life is not about me. Think about that for a moment. Life itself is not about me. How many of us make life about ourselves regularly? I do. Like, I don't feel good this morning. I'm tired. I did this. I did that. Right? We, do, we, we think about ourselves. What am I going to eat later? What am I going to do later? Right? We think about ourselves. and That's, that's just part of life. But I, we need to be reminded that when it comes to our faith, when it comes to this book, we are not the main character, right? God is the writer of the story. He is the hero of the story. He is the one who's going to bring the story to pass and to completion one day. He, it's his story. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. Without him, there would be nothing. We still believe Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Without him, there would be nothing. We, we believe that without him, we could do nothing. I, I've told you all this before, but I'll never forget. I was driving in a 93 Ford Mustang, Highway 84 West, just outside of Laurel, Mississippi, in a little town of a little community called Calhoun. and Left church thinking about the Lord's working in my life. I was probably 19 or 20 years old, riding down the road, and it just struck me all of a sudden as I'm thinking about the sermon I'd heard that day. I don't really remember the sermon. I just remember hearing a sermon, driving down the road, and it struck me, wait a minute. Life's not about me. Literally, a, mo a life-changing moment to me, and I'm like, whoa, like I want to pull over. It's not, everything's not about me. Everything doesn't revolve around me. And I found that even though I, thought I had that moment at age 19 or 20, I have to keep having moments like that because so often I'm like drifting back into the me mindset. But when we put our focus on the Lord and the Word and what He's called us to do and the mission of these verses we just read, when we put our focus on those things, we should be reminded often it's not about us. Number two, the Christian life is not meant to be nominal. When I say nominal, I mean it's not just something we say or that we name. We don't just name it, I'm a Christian, and that's enough, right? That's not enough, is it? We can wear Christian t-shirts every day. Does that make us a Christian? No, right? And so the Christian life is not meant to be something we just say. It is meant to be our life. It should affect every single area of our lives. Our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions, which we know sometimes can go off the rails, should be in line with Christianity if we claim to be Christians. I'll give you an example because y'all know I'm, I try to be honest up here. Last Sunday, 
left here, drove through to get some pizza, which is our new habit, which is a terrible habit. For us, it's like the cheapest Sunday meal. We, my wife's driving. We leave the restaurant. She made a perfect right on red turn, stopped at the red light, turned. The guy behind her started laying on his horn. And then he spun around. Of course, I got pizza in my mouth, so I'm like, what did happen, you know? And I said, you know what? Go pass him back. <laughs> pass him back, which is a terrible thing to tell Jesse because she'll do it. Um, and so she's like, really? She's like, green light? I was like, no, no, you know. But in that brief second, right, I was like angry because he honked at my wife, right? And, you know, but that's, that's not the right attitude, is it? And so we, we, I was like, let's just, it took about a mile, but I was like, let's chill out, you know, chill out. But that's a silly illustration, but here's my point. The Christian life, the things we say in here and the way we act in here is trying to be gracious and humble and kind should also be how we act out there. And the Christian life should affect us. And I know it's hard, right? I know when you have certain coworkers that push your buttons, it's hard. When you have certain people you run into in life, it can be very, very difficult. But the Christian life, listen to this, is not a part-time deal. It's not. As a matter of fact, people in the Bible that were part-time Christians were actually not Christians. And people in this life, I would say, people who say, I'm, I'm just a part-time Christian, or I do this, or I do that, that's not who God calls. That's not what God does. When God saves people, he completely saves people, and he brings us through the sanctification process. We're not perfect. We're never going to be, right? We're, we're never going to be in this life, but he leads us on this path of growth to where we say, I am a Christian. My life is for Christ. It's not nominal. Number three, this leads me to the next thing. Number three is the church is not a social club. The church is not a building. The church is not a nice place to go once a week to keep up appearances. It's not a place to go to join so that you'll have a place to get married and have a funeral. The church is a people. It is a called out, set apart, saved, sanctified, serving, loving, disciple-making people. It's a group of people who have covenanted together to be who God calls us to be. That's who the church is. Sometimes I don't even like it when I put on Facebook, you know, um, we have church at 10.30 Sunday morning. I'd rather say, like, let's come together and be the church. You know, we are the church. Let's be the church together. The church is God's true believers joined together on a mission for him. Number four, based on these things, how do we then gauge where we are? And we can all do this. Everyone sitting here today can gauge, like, where you are in your walk with Christ in your Christian life? Like, how do you know if you truly know him? How do you know if you're living for him? How do you know if you're doing what you should do as part of the church? Are you part of God's mission? And, and some people might say, well, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just kind of follow my heart. I'll do this. And, and following your heart's a terrible idea, <laughs> by the way, because the Bible says our hearts are wicked, deceitfully wicked. Don't follow your heart. Follow Christ and his word. Now, of course, when we're believers, we know that we have a new heart that God gives us. We have the Holy Spirit who guides us to make better decisions and follow Christ. But I found that even those who are believers, and myself included, I'm not always, and this is not even a, probably a real word, but I'm not always an honest examiner of my own heart. I don't always do an honest examination of where I stand because oftentimes 
Would you agree we, we sometimes overestimate our own selves? We do that with our kids. That's where I see that a lot is with kids, right? Like you have a five-year-old kid, he'll throw a piece of paper in the trash can, and his parents like, he's going to the NBA one day. He's definitely a pro basketball player. And he made a piece of trash. He's fine, you know. Or every, every one of y'all seen this at the t-ball field, the six-year-old who's better than everybody else smashing it. He's definitely going to play in the major, league, major leagues one day. You know what, he, he, he's a good high school player, and that's it, right? And that's fine. But we over evaluate, overestimate our own selves, our own children. In my faith sometimes, I think I overestimate or over or misexamine where I might be. And I want to cause us to take a, as best we can through the lens of the scripture, a, a more pure look at where we are as Christians. And by the way, when I give you these things, this is not a list of rules or legalistic things that if I do this, God's going to be happy with me. That's not what we're talking about. What we're saying is here are things that the scripture says we should be and we should do. But before I give you this, this little gauge that I've made up here, look at number five. Well, that's what I just said. Go to number six. Sorry. Number six. We cannot be content with our efforts for Christ. What I mean by that is we cannot be the people that say, I already know the Bible the best I need to know it. I already do the things as best I, I can do it. We know there, if we're breathing, if we're living, if we're a Christian, there's more that God has for us to do. Nobody here even knows it, right? God may do his best work in your life in the last few years of your life. You know, we don't know. Sometimes I wonder, sometimes I think, man, has the best that God's going to get out of me already happened? And I pray that's not the truth. I pray there's not. I pray there's more, right? Because if not, why would he even leave us here if there was not more for us to do for him? So don't be content with the things that God's done in your life so far, the things that you've done for him. Think about what else can God help me and lead me to do. I think so many people in so many churches have spent so much time focused on their preferences, their agendas, their ideas, and all these other thoughts of what they should be and what church should be in such a way that we, we miss what God wants us to be. So be content with who Christ is, but don't be content with what we've done for Christ. That's the, that's the call. So I'm going to give you these four steps, a four-step process to gauge where you are, and I think this also gauge, helps us as a church to gauge um, where we are as a whole when it comes to fulfilling that great commission we read about at the beginning. I've already mentioned this verse to you, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul said, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I'll say it again. If you are a Christian, I believe this. God has other things for you to do that lie ahead. Are you pressing forward? Are you straining forward to what lies ahead? He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So let me give you the four steps. Here we go. Think about these four things. Examine your own heart as honestly and biblically as you can. Step one is the gospel. You've already heard the gospel in song. You heard it in the children's sermon. I simply define the gospel like this. It is the good news, great news, that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. 
And I think every part of that definition is necessary. First, it is good news, right? It's th- st- news you need to hear and share. God does it. Who saves? God saves. We don't save ourselves by keeping certain rules or being a good person. He saves. How do, who does he save? Sinners like us. We were and are sinners. And he's, how does he do it? Through Christ. I pray, I'll think, I was thinking about this this morning. I pray that we never become bored with the gospel. That shouldn't happen, should it? We should be, and I'm not saying you guys stand up and shout and throw your hands around, but at least in your heart you should be thinking, God, thank you for saving my soul. Right? Thank you that I know no matter what happens in this life, I have eternal life. And I have joy with, through you even now. So don't, don't get over the gospel. That's not something we should ever get over. So it's the good news. And we've talked about it so much. We've talked about some of the, the doctrines that surround that simple definition. You heard a couple this morning, atonement, substitutionary. Um, we think about words like redemption, words like propitiation, words like justification, spiritual adoption, righteousness. We, th- we can talk about the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the role of the Trinity in salvation. And so we can, we can look at so many, so much depth of the gospel that we can never exhaust it. And yet, that same gospel, we can say it, and through God's power, a young child can come to know Christ. Isn't that amazing? A gospel that we could write books forever, all the scholars have tried, and there's some good ones out there and some bad ones. We can never exhaust the gospel. And sometimes people are so wise in the world, and yet they never receive it, do they? And yet, a, you can be a young child, or you can be an adult who's not that intelligent, or you can be not that wealthy, or not that known, and God can do a work through that gospel and save your soul. The response is mentioned here in these verses, repent and believe. The response to the gospel is to repent and believe. And I still think this, by the way, I still think there are people in biblical churches, in churches that preach the Bible, who think, I'm saved because I'm a pretty good person. Or I'm saved because I go to church. Or I'm saved because I do this or I do that. Over and over again, the scripture says, repent and believe. In Christ. Well, I'll repent and I'll believe in Christ and I'll believe I'll believe in Christ plus these other things. Is that conversion? No. Conversion is I believe in Christ alone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. My faith is in him, not in anything else I can do or say or be. Only in him. Let me add this to, to this point as well. Knowing that Christ paid it all, knowing that he finished our salvation on the cross, knowing that our salvation is settled in our hearts and in heaven, does that give us a license to now live however we want to live? No, right? God forbid, the Apostle Paul would say. It's no license to live how we want to live. Read Matthew chapter 7. So many people are going to get there one day and Be like, God, I did this, I did this, I did this. And he's going to say, depart from me. Why? He says, I I never knew you. You never truly repented and believed. 
Your hope was in something else, not in Christ alone. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith this morning. Do you know God through this gospel? Have you repented and believed for salvation? If you have, let's move to the second step. The second step is the church. Why do I say that? Well, once you have received that gospel, trusting in Jesus, you become a part of the church. You become a part of the body of Christ. And you've been called and commanded to be an active part of a local church. Right? We know that. We believe that. We preach that. You should be, and I always like using that phrase, by the way, an active part. Because really, if you're a part of the church, that implies activity. You should, be, you should be active, barring some kind of special circumstance. Why? The church is the place where you should be loved, cared for, prayed for, taught, and challenged. I'll say that again. The church, and let me, I'm going to say it this way. In 2024, I pray that this church will be a place where everyone here could be loved, cared for, prayed for, taught and challenged you cannot rightly examine your faith if you're not a part of a local church i don't know how you could do that i don't know how you could never be a part of church and then think i'm, I'm doing okay with god i think you, you you it's in the context of the local church where you see how other believers are acting and say should i be more like that or you hear from other believers about what god's doing in their lives and you're encouraged to do that in your own life so the gospel is what God has done for us, and the church is who God made us to be. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are a church. We covenant together. We join together, and we have similar beliefs. We sang about them in one of the songs this morning. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in the church. We believe in salvation by grace alone. We believe the Bible is God's holy word, right? If you don't believe the Bible is God's holy word, you're probably not going to be comfortable here. And that's a good thing, I think. Because well, this is what we're going to preach, right? Sometimes they're big ones, sometimes they're small ones, but the big ones. We, we believe it, right? We don't remove the pulpit. We go out and... Go picking and find a bit bigger, better pulpit. Because not for the preacher, but to hold the word up. That we're all looking up this way. I, I, I know early on, I think Nick and them had cricks in their necks from looking up. But the idea to me is that the word is exalted. Right? doesn't matter who's up here. It's this is exalted. And so the church is where we come and we have these similar beliefs on the, on the main things. And we, we don't just try to believe similar on the main things, but we, we try to... Be active in what we're doing, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the scripture says, but spurring each other on to good works. And so when you're a part of a church and you're an active member, and I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but when you do that, you are, you are doing the, the thing God's called you to do in the context God's called you to do it. But when you're not faithful to the church, you are, you're hindering, first, listen, you're hindering your own self because you're not getting the the feed you need from the word. You're not getting the, the truth you need from others. You're also hindering the other church members who might can learn from you as well. And so it's in this community of 
the church that we are encouraged, taught, and challenged. Let me add this to, to this step. Ephesians, in Ephesians, the Bible says that Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. Christ loves the church and gave himself, literally his life, for it. Do you know people who say, I love God, I love Christ, but the church is not for me? If you say, I love Christ, but the church is not for me, that's like telling me, hey, I like you, you're a pretty good guy, but your wife, I hate her. I'm not dealing with her. That's happened before once or twice. <laughs> it's usually the other way around. But seriously, do you see my point? That's insane to say, I love Christ, but his church, his bride, the one he loves, the one he died for, I'm not dealing with them. That's insane, isn't it? How can you love him and hate his bride? I'm not saying this to make us feel guilty. It's just, a, just to maybe open our eyes to see the importance of the church. I want to encourage us, and th again, this is preaching to the choir right now, but minim minim minimally, the minimum thing is for us to show up here, but I want to encourage you in 2024, make it your goal to be, I'm not just going to show up to church, but I'm going to do what I can to really help everybody be better in Christ. Maybe it's staying around a few more minutes at the end to have a conversation. Maybe it's showing up a little bit early to help. Maybe you just want to help in some way you can come and ask you know, me or Jason or somebody, like, what can I do to help? Just being a little, mo little bit more, not just about attendance, but about actually serving in the church. Some of the best things that I think happen for me are those conversations that happen a few minutes after church and a few minutes before. Where we can have conversations about life and about Christ. I think we need those. You can have those in Sunday school at 945 back there. You can have those on Wednesday nights. You can have those in other places, but... What an opportunity for us to come together week after week after week and not just go through an hour of a service, but to know each other better. So, number one is the gospel. And a lot of people would say, yes, I know the gospel. Number two is the church. A lot of people, and I'm, again, in here, yes, I'm an active part of the church. What's well, number three? The third step in this gauge is discipleship. Discipleship, is simply put, is the process of becoming more like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says, For those who, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, to be made like the image of his Son. I'll, as I was looking through this this week, I was thinking about when Jesus was on earth, and we can read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just a few years of his life, by the way, not his entire life, just a little taste, but... Whose will did Jesus put at the top of the list as far as whose will he would follow? His own? The Father's, right? We can never forget the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed and said, not my will, but thy will be done, right? Take it a step further. Did, did, besides the fact that he put the Father's will above his own, Whose well-being did he put above his own? I would argue everyone around him. Because he 
traveled around in a way where he didn't have a home. We like having a home, a permanent place to go back to, right? And Jesus is moving around, and he's, he's healing people and helping people and risking, you know what I mean, risking things that could happen or be said or be done to him. He put others in front of him, right? And ultimately on the cross, even us, by laying down his life in our place, right? So Jesus showed us this pattern of God's will be done, others are important. And I'm reminded when he said famously, right, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and then love others. So to be a disciple, to go through discipleship is to say, I'm going to, by God's grace, by his help, learn to love God and love others, and in so doing, I'll become more like Jesus. I have another definition, I think, here. Yeah, discipleship includes following Jesus in faith, love, and obedience. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you love him? Do you obey him? The three non-negotiables that we talk about so much, I think y'all could say these by memory, is you need the word, you need prayer, and you need the church. And we've exhausted why those are important to us, but we really can never fully exhaust that, can we? We need the Bible, we need prayer, and we need the church. Discipleship is so important because it reminds us that the Christianity, the faith we have, is not just about joining a church, praying a prayer, signing a, a sign-up sheet. It's about a process of growth through Christ. It's a lifelong journey. And that's why I think I've been so passionate about it is because most of my life in my early ministry when I was in church, I saw so many people who all they cared about was going to church one hour a week to say, I did it. We did it. Let's go home and forget about it for the next six days and we'll come back next week. I saw that so much. Nobody actually said that, but I could see it in their lives. And I saw that so much that I think this, that's why this became so a passion of mine to say, we must be disciples, following Jesus, following him daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, in faith, love, and obedience. Let's go to the final part of the mission. I mean, the final part of the process is mission. We've already read the Great Commission. And when I say mission here, I'm not speaking just about what we think of missions. And that's, missions are important. Our church gives to missions, uh, both here in Mississippi and, and in our country and around the world. We do give to missions. And, uh, but when I say mission, I mean the mission that God's called us to, which is to go and make more disciples. That's the mission. To multiply your life for the kingdom of God. That in some way, your life is being used to help others know him more. We read this Great Commission often. I've probably preached this text three or four times in the last few years, I'm sure. But it's for a purpose because I think this mission that Christ gave his disciples still applies to us. And I think everything we should do should revolve around this mission. And so I'm thankful that we can kind of use the gospel, the church, discipleship, and mission to, to kind of lead to whatever we do here. What songs are we going to sing? What events do we want to have? All that should be focused around this mission. I've been a part of so many churches where you do all these different activities, these different events, you spend all this money, and it's never not been focused on discipleship. And in many ways, I feel like that's just a waste. I'm thankful here we can spend our time focused on the major thing, 
not minoring on the minors, but focusing on the major thing, which is the gospel, the church, discipleship, and the mission. A question to ask is, how, how are we doing? How are we doing when it comes to making disciples? Are we trying? Are we thinking about that? And I, Again, I think it's my responsibility to cast that vision before us regularly because I just, I'm just not, I am convinced of this, that one day God may look at me and say, did you make disciples? I mean, that's, that was what I commanded you to do. Did you make disciples? So I think that should be in our, our process. The mission of the church is to glorify God by making disciples. That's our mission. How are we making disciples? Do we have a process? The answer is yes. And the process is called our discipleship pathway, and I have shared that with you many times. And is it working? And I just put a question mark. And I think that's, I put that there on purpose, like how, how do we even gauge if we are making disciples? If we're making disciples the way we should be, does that mean this church should be full every Sunday? That's not what I'm saying. That'd be nice, but that's not what I'm saying. If we're making disciples right, does that mean every time you leave here you would think, wow, what an amazing experience we just had? Is that what, we're, is that what we mean? No. But to me to say, is it working, is this, am I growing in Christ and in some way have I seen evidence that I'm helping someone else grow or that I'm being a part of that process? Let me quickly, quickly go through this with you as we conclude here. Um, yep, next one. Next one. The discipleship pathway. Number one, turn to Christ. You've heard the gospel this morning. If you don't know Christ, right, this is the thing you must do. Repent of your sin and believe in him and Christ alone. You've heard this gospel. And by the way, this should always be the first thing we preach, right? The first step, Christ alone. The second thing is to join the congregation. And again, I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but we know how important it is to be scripturally baptized. I think there's some, there'll be some water in there now. So if you haven't been scripturally baptized and want to talk about that, come see me. Attend services on a regular basis. Join, give to support. Be a part of the church. That is what needs to happen, right? Come to Christ through salvation. Be an active part of the church. Number three, invest in your church community, your church family. We have multiple options here, and I think you should take all of them. Sunday school, 945 in the back. We have kids' classes, adult classes. I know because I've been in two classes, and I know the other class. You will hear God's word. You will have opportunity to share and talk about God's word. You will have an opportunity for you to grow and maybe even invest in others if you come to Sunday school at 945. Wednesday nights at 6.30. We have food, which is amazing. And we also have biblical teaching, biblical discussions. And you can grow in those groups. You can know God more through those groups. You can help others as well. Do these things to foster your spiritual growth and invest in others. And I'm thankful, I believe, and as a core group, these first three I've been happy with our progress as a church on these first three. But if you're not to number three, I would encourage you to dive in and 
Do all these things. Number four, influence your crowd. We don't have a Tuesday night visitation program. I used to have those at my old churches back in the old days. Tuesday nights, we'd go out, knock on doors. You'd see people hiding behind the curtains. They wouldn't come to the door. Like, I can see you. I can see you. <laughs> but I get it. Because guess what? If somebody goes and knocks on my door, I'm like, oh, you know, who is it? Is it a politician? Is it what? Is, I, I don't like it. I don't know if y'all like it, but we don't have a Tuesday night visitation program. We don't have an evangelistic program. Here's our visitation. Here's our evangelistic program. You ready? Live your life. And as you live your life, be the person God's called you to be. Say the things God's called you to say. Do the things God's called you to do. And when every opportunity arises that allows you to share something about Jesus, you do it. That's our visitation program. That's our evangelistic campaign is to influence our crowd, the people in our home, family, friends, and others with Christ-like words, attitudes, and actions. And that's not something I can really measure, can I? I can't really measure that except to ask, ask you and say, hey, how are you influencing your crowd? The only way I can measure that is when I hear one of y'all, and I, this happens where I hear somebody say, well, this week I was talking to so-and-so about the Bible or about Christ. And in that way, I can kinda, we can kind of measure it. Well, we're having these conversations outside the church. That's good. The fifth one is to replicate your core. And what I mean here is that you're reaching a place in your life where you just really want to invest in others. That might look like leading a discipleship group on a Wednesday night or co-leading a group with someone else. It might be you one day becoming a Sunday school teacher. It might be you saying, hey, I want to meet with this one person. And if I'm a man, I'm going to find one other man and we're going to become accountability partners and discuss the Bible or a lady with another lady. Being, just being intentional the, the fifth one to me is replicating your core. This is when you are intentionally helping others become better followers of Christ. And I will tell you, if we have 10 people doing this, this church will grow spiritually. And I've, I've never not seen this. If we have people replicating their core, discipling other people, I've always seen that lead to numerical growth in the church as well because those people just go out excited about Christ. So, where are you in this process? I hope you've been examining your own self, thinking about your own Christian walk, what's been going on in this past year, but knowing that this is a new year, right? And you could change and, and be better at what you're doing or start something new and better that's what we're seeing from God's Word. Seeking to follow this pathway. I pray that God will give us just a real time of examination on this and just to consider it with seriousness. And even thinking about everything we do as a church, like how does this help us accomplish these things? So I want you to think about this and I want you to, don't be afraid to have conversations about this. If you look at that discipleship pathway and you think, where am I at on there? And you want to have a conversation with me about it or Jason about it or with a spouse about it or someone else. Like, that's a good idea. Where am I here? What's my next step? What else could I be doing for God that I'm not doing? Because surely none of us would say as we leave here this morning, I got it all figured out. I'm doing all I can do, right? No, none of us would say that. So talk with someone and say, hey, what can we do here? How can 
I'll be used to better accomplish these scriptures we read this morning. So what are we doing, and what do we need to be doing? Think on those things as we pray.